unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. Real quick, you know, we're going to hit the ground running here. Uh, this is going to be very much like it was for the Justice for Evan episode. We've got Vicky and Deborah with us here this evening. Um, and what they're going to do is I'm going to give them the floor. I'm going to kind of keep tabs of questions that come through the chat. So that way, you know, I can feed those to them as we go. Let them educate all of us on this. And, and one thing we talked the other day, and this is something that I really want to put out there. For those of us who have been in the business for a very long time, there are things that we've seen or maybe things we were part of or were told to do that became the norm. And it never occurred to us that, you know, it could be bullying or it could be mobbing. And I think what we're going to find out as we go through these journeys, there's a lot of things we've learned to accept that were just totally wrong and should not have happened. So having said that, who wants to go first? Go ahead, Vicky. You got this. <laughs> And an underground phenomenon, yet it's um, enormous. It, it, the size of it is enormous, and we're here um, because we're part of the Justice for Evan team for the March 9th events, and um, that's really kind of our jumping-off point tonight. Is you know Evan was bullied and mobbed to death at his place of employment, and um, when I read the lawsuit. I just was taken aback um, because it was a blueprint of bullying and mobbing. And that's not so easy to do. It's not something we see because both bullying and mobbing are psychological abuse. And so it's things that you can't easily see. Um, And it's actually um, sometimes in the non-response that is the response. But again, very just nebulous kind of um, behavior that's not easy to, um, you know, put your finger on. But Evans, um, that lawsuit is, as I said, an articulate blueprint of bullying and mobbing. It really does like, follow this like playbook when you read through the lawsuit with the the two supervisors um, initially harassing him around just wearing his mask around. Uh, COVID, you know, the, which is what Kroger had called for, that that was their policy to wear a mask. And um, he was har- harassed for his political beliefs and um, things just escalated from there. Um, but it, it follows this um, playbook in terms of Evan being this like great performer. He, you know, you can, there, there was this um, very vivid description in the lawsuit of an audit that he um, had as a dairy manager and just the different timestamps of when people put outdated product or he, he perceived that people were putting outdated product, um, to sabotage his audit and he had stayed late in order to, to make sure that his audit wasn't going to get sabotaged and all of these other, um, abuse mechanisms that were used. Um, there was sexual harassment involved that he had reported, um, there was threats of tracking his internet usage. There were it, it all kept escalating um, to the point where people were following him um, home and staying outside of his home for for great lengths of time. 
um, and neighbors were reporting on this. This wasn't um, just him who observed this. Um, and it, it really, uh, you know, it, it also escalated to the point where after he was told that they were going to monitor his um, internet usage, that they had also sent him child pornography. And it escalated to this point where, um, you know, he was written up several times after this audit had happened. And it, it, it got to this point where he felt trapped and, um, you know, which we've seen in other situations where people feel like there's this impending, um, abuse for things that never happened. Um, he felt like he had ended up quitting, but he felt like he was going to get fired. And then he felt like he was going to, um, receive like criminal consequences for the child pornography piece of it. Um, and that's around the, the time, the, the day that he was supposed to have a meeting with his supervisor um, was the day that he um, died, where he took his life and, um, you know, he had, had an episodic break before that and just really like, clearly couldn't see um, other options for this. There was, it became this like hopeless situation where no matter where he turned, there was nobody helping him who should have. So um, we see this a lot in those dynamics of uh, someone who's just this great employee being targeted for whatever reason their um, supervisor sees their competence as a threat or they want to replace them with somebody else, which was, which was um, the case here with Evan. And um, it, it escalates to the point where the person questions themselves. Um, you know, they, they, um, they're convinced that they're incompetent or they're, they're just convinced that things are happening that, um, that aren't or vice versa. And then they're driven to this point of reporting a problem. And then that's where that, um, mobbing comes in where, um, either the, the, um, department or other people are, are joining in on the abuse or the, the, um, the organ, the company is ignoring their situation. And in Evan's case, both were happening. He had reported the sexual harassment. He had reported the, the abusive behavior and, um, they wouldn't even, you know, they, they wouldn't even allow him to transfer to a different store. So, um, you know, that's when the, you know, like I said, the, the tactics escalated and he fell alone and vulnerable. And, um, this is sort of like the abuser playbook that we see time and time again. Now, Vicki, what were the statistics you said, like the, the percentage well, from 2017, I know there's more recent statistics, but I don't know them off the top of my head. But in 2017, there was a Zogby National Scientific Survey done by the Workplace Bullying Institute, and over 60 million people were bullied and mobbed in the workplace in 2017. Um, that actually was the year that I was tormented um, day in and day out by um, a bully in the workplace. And... Um, at the end of it, as you know, just as Evan did, um, I re, you know I reported to the proper authorities. I did all the right things, um, but because employers are not liable for psychological safety, they they proliferate it to avoid liability. So um, you know, I reported the bully, but my employer did nothing about it. They just let me remain under that day to day straight stress. Um, I was under the stress for 15 months. Um, and like Evan, 
um, when I, I did realize that I was going to be fired. And so I, when I went out, I just left work um, and went out, you know, on FMLA, which I was grateful for. Um, you know, so we, again, getting back to, you know, Evan's story, that's what he did. He was doing his job. And by the way, um, targets like Evan, like myself, um, Deb, we've all been targets of bullying. They, the descriptors of targets, uh, they are the best employees. They're dedicated employees. They're hardworking employees. And Evan um, exemplified all of that. He had not been, he had been there for 19 years. He never missed a day of work. He, um, you know, and had never been written up. He was an exemplary employee and he was being tormented. There's, there's obvious people knew it. Um, and there was evidence that he was being tormented by two other people. And his company, he reported it. He went to the ethics line. He went to his union steward. He, um, he did all the right things he was supposed to do. And his employer ignored it. And so, again, this is where I was saying it's kind of nebulous, but, you know, Kroger is not doing anything, is doing something. What they did was they left him in a cesspool of stress and silent killer stress. is That's what silent killer stress kills. And Evan was, you know, he was, it was bad enough, the stress that he was under with the bullies. And then when his company just left him in all those, letting this audit happen and um, violating him as a person with all these other accusations. And, um, you know, he did, he left, you know, he left his job, he quit. Um, and, you know, from there, we know um, he had a break after a mental break. And that's what happens. You know, people can only take so much stress. We're all different. Um, the same, you know, um, boiling water that softens the carrot hardens the egg. And um, not to say that, you know, that Evan was, you know, weak or anything. He wasn't. He just was tormented to the point where he snapped. He had no other threshold. He was, uh, um, I know most of us, and I speak as, because I am one of those 60 million people, and I um, am shoulder to shoulder with people who have been bullied and mobbed in my, um, in my life these days. And um, we, you know, have done the best that we can under these things, but we're, we all come out and we're all sick. We are, most of us have PTSD. Um, if Evan had lived, he would have been significantly sick with a lot of health harm as are most of us who have experienced this in the workplace. Anything you'd like to add, Deb? Um, I think it's important too to, I mean, Vicki's always emphasizing the mobbing side of it. And I think it's important to just kind of describe, um, how that happens because it's such a common occurrence with workplace abuse. It's, it's generally, um, you know, it generally starts with one person who, who is threatened by the, the competence of, um, a high performing person. Um, it's not always the, that situation, but it's commonly that situation. And then it, um, it, it can often be a situation where, 
that person who has the power and control, because this is all about power and control, they, they write the narrative once they realize that they want to go after somebody. Um, and, and having an isolated bully is one thing. I mean, if you have, if you were, if this were happening in a, um, a healthy work culture where, you know, they did proper investigations and they did get consequences for the bully, then that would be one thing. But most often, um, that actually happen. Um, what happens is the bully will, you know, tell their boss that this person is a problem and start to question their mental health or their performance. And then they'll start to put bugs in people's, you know, the coworkers ears so that they'll realize that if I, you know, side with this person, then I'm going to get targeted too. And so it just becomes this like smear campaign where the person who's being targeted really feels isolated. And then they, um, their performance does start to, um, decrease because they're ridden with anxiety and depression and stress and all of these other, um, you know, the trauma. And, um, not only that, but when they do decide to follow the protocol that they're taught by their, um, employer, especially when they're training on, you know, discrimination issues, or if they're, if they are training on workplace abuse, um, then someone might go to HR or a higher acting sort of, um, consequence for the bully and I believe Vicky mentions that um, the employer is only concerned about their own liability so even in like very clear-cut discrimination cases we see that you know the, the employees have been trained they then go to HR when something happens except to actually do something and then they don't do something um, and it leads to this very big sense of betrayal and um, not only that but the employer does what they can to push out the liability, which is the planning. Instead of actually addressing it, instead of doing an, a proper investigation, something that's swift, something where they're, um, you know, trying to collect the evidence and talking to witnesses and making some sort of decision about how to handle the situation. Um, so that that mobbing piece of it is really a strong piece of it because there's, you know, we believe that the employer is going to do something about it. And then when they don't, it's this huge, huge sense of betrayal. Um, and then a lot of people also believe that this has to be illegal and it's not. Um, it is when it comes to being protected class. So if you are being discriminated against for your race or gender or disability or age or a whole number of um, protected classes, um, there is legal recourse, but even that is really, uh, you know, the, the, the cards are stacked against people who report. They, um, you know, it's basically this David versus Goliath situation where the employer has all the resources, all, all this money in the, the um, in relationships with the, you know, they're, they're going to have definite legal representation and those lawyers are going to have relationships with the courts already. And there is just like, you know, the little guy going up against this army and, um, you know, this, this, it's a rigged system. It's really, uh, designed to keep the people, I always say the, keep the people who write the rules to, it, it keeps those people in power. Um, so it's really, uh, it's really a system where the people who are in power um, are doing whatever they can to maintain that power. So I just wanted to really emphasize how that mobbing piece works um, and, you know, 
how how people how it can lead to PTSD because people have you know an expectation here and they're like extremely disappointed and that's where the trauma um, the shock of it all can come so in. So there was something that was in the chat. Um, why do you think it seems to typically be the exemplary employees that are getting targeted? I mean, I can, I can chime in on that. It's, I mean, again, it's, it's such a convoluted phenomenon. And when you keep pulling back the layers, it's just, it, it, you, you shake your head. You never sit there and go, wow, yeah, this makes sense. It doesn't make sense. But um, bullies, I guess we have to go back and, and talk about them. We've talked about targets being hardworking. Bullies, um, their MO is that they're very highly insecure and jealous. So um, that's, you know, that's kind of what happens here is that people who are in the workplace and they feel, for whatever reason, they feel insecure, they feel threatened by people who do their job well. And so what they have to do is everything in their power to eliminate that person who is the good because it may, they don't want, you know, they, want, they look better when the good person's gone. So that's kind of a long story um, to say that, um, you know, Evan could have done Shannon Frazee's job with, with just his baby finger. Um, he was a good manager and a leader, and um, she must have been threatened by that. And um, Joseph Pig, you know, he has, you know, a history of bad behavior. Again, they don't want someone like Evan in the workplace because it makes them look bad. And then the employer gets caught in the double bind because they're not. So what are they going to do if they address the um, the bad behavior, the psychological abuse of the bully, then they're kind of admitting that there's a psycho, there's a liability issue here, and employees don't want to do that. So instead, they just let the good employee just blow up in the fumes of the stress. Now, Deb, you had mentioned, um, you know, about people staying in power. Do you believe that you, uh, one of the reasons like the really good employees get targeted like Evan did is because they're not going to fall rank and file into like what they would consider their clique and they consider them a threat to whatever kind of system they're trying to run? Yeah, I was going to add to what Vicky said of all. I think a lot of people who are focused on power and control instead of the the um the health of the organization is that they surround themselves with people who like are yes people um, who will do, you know, who might kiss up to them um, and who reinforce their power because that's what they care about their own. Um, it's all about their own ego. It's all about their own power and control. So um, they, they uh, instead of actually caring about the bottom line or uh, the well-being of their employees, they just care about, maintaining the power that they have attained and, you know, making their decisions to reinforce that it, it pretty much all costs. I mean, you know, to anything, anything they can do to maintain that power. Um, there was a statement, a question that came across. Um, what do you guys think fosters bullying more company culture, lack of legal protections, or is there something else? 
Um, I think it's a number of things. I, I mean, definitely the, the, uh, work culture, definitely, um, HR departments and higher ups, uh, deferring to their legal departments on this. It's also, um, our overall culture that, um, reinforces both positive stereotypes and negative stereotypes. So this, this issue, even though we have discrimination law, it, and it's not very effective, but this issue is so intertwined with discrimination. So, um, a lot of this is, um, certain demographics, uh, doing what they can to keep themselves in, in power, um, and playing on, you know, the positive stereotypes of their demographic group and playing on the negative stereotypes of other demographic groups. So we see this a lot around, you know, stereotyping women as highly emotional or, um, age stereotypes, uh, race stereotypes, um, people with disabilities stereotypes, and, and just doing what they can to reinforce those stereotypes to maintain this social hierarchy um, and to maintain like obedience around, you know, people's ranks within the, that social hierarchy. So um, yeah, I think it's the overall culture. I think it's the work culture. And I also think it's um, the mindset of the abuser and, and realizing that um, a lot of what that those insecurities are deeply rooted and rooted in childhood. And I think once um, people who are targeted realize that, that this isn't about them, um, it can become about, you know, some of the, the responses that they have, but abuse is abuse. There is nothing that excuses it. Um, and there is nothing that excuses it from, from starting in, in the first place. So, um, you know, I think that understanding that piece of it and how deeply rooted it is with insecurities, like Vicki mentioned, um, can help really help people detach from what's happening and just understanding those like main three layers that, that contribute so much to this. Now, you know, you would think that Evan's track record would be enough evidence that there was something wrong because, you know, he was an employee for 19 years with not a blemish on his record until these managers show up on the scene. Yet that obviously was ignored. It's not like anybody said, okay, you know, he, he's called, like you said, Vicky, the, the hoax line, you know, to report and nobody took the time to look, well, this guy doesn't have a blemish on his record at all. And he's been a long-term employee. Now all of a sudden there's issues, you know, any company worth their salt would at least just from, from that, be like, okay, maybe there's something we need to go check out, but they absolutely didn't. And, and that's, and that's typical, Steve, that's the way it is. Um, I was at my place of employment for 21 years. Every one of my performance evaluations exceeded expectation. Um, you know, and, and again, it, you know, I speak for a lot of the people that we, you know, again, shoulder to shoulder with, um, that's their story. Like Deb said, it's a playbook. Our, um, work habits and ethics uh, are similar. We, we were all long-term, really good, hardworking employees. So, you know, that Evan fell right into the, um, the, the right category. He was, it doesn't matter if you're a good employee. It matters. All, all they are thinking about is we have to avoid liability. And it's a group think at the top of the company, like Deb said, power, hierarchical, um, you know, the legal department, HR, directors, they're making six figures. They, you know, they don't care about the employees. They just, all they can see is that paycheck. 
and um, they're getting paid real good money to um, look the other way for abusive behavior. Yeah, and, and Sharon Frizzy was the store manager, right, Vicky? That is correct. that? Yes. So who, like, I guess the question is who's really holding, who's holding her accountable in the situation before the lawsuit? Um, you know, if she wasn't reporting what was happening and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure how the Kroger structure works, if there's some sort of district manager or, um, but it's uh, negligent for the government to not be holding employers accountable um, when these things happen, um, they just completely get away with it because nobody's checking on them. Nobody's giving them consequences. There's no, um, incentive. I mean, there's, there's like a moral incentive and, in, you know, caring about your organization that that's an incentive to care about these situations. But if you are, uh, egotistical and, and focused on your own power and control, then there's nothing that's going to, um, at least in our culture, nothing that's going to uh, give uh, an, uh, an employer like that accountability. I will tell you, you know, from, from my history of, of watching store managers come and go, I do find it very peculiar that regardless of what side of the fence Kroger actually sits on with this, that they have not moved that person kind of out of you know, that store kind of away from the public eye or, or something. I find that very, very interesting because from a liability standpoint, they're setting themselves up for a whole lot more. And it kind of tends to go along with what, you know, Vicky has said, you know, both of you, you talk about the power structure. It's really like no one cares about that store at all because if they did, they'd make some moves even if it was just to protect themselves and they're not. Or on the flip side, admitting liability, if they did move her, I mean, that's sort of the other way of looking at it is if they did something about it, they might be admitting some kind of fault and they don't want to do that. Well, perception, yes, but they could paint it in such a way that it's not. Right. Yeah. It's, it's to their, you know, they buy into it with, you know, like when you don't, well, when the bullies find out that their employer isn't doing anything about their bad behavior, it emboldens them and they keep, and they go at it, which now, you know, so like my, my abuser and um, Evan's abuser, you know, they, they go at you, you know, they, they just keep going at you harder and faster. So the abuse escalates and you're under that stress. And to your employer, because this is their plan, they want the good employee to go so that they, you know, because when you go, when Evan goes, they they had no more threat of liability or so they thought because, you know, Evan's, you know, this story has ended um, horrifically. And so there is going to be liability um, but that was that's the plan for the 60 million people is they let that employee implode from under the stress. And so that bully being emboldened, it furthers their, you know, their mission. So the bully keeps at that person. The employee implodes. They leave. No more threat of liability. And that employee just goes on again. And yes, you know, the inside of the company, you know, in these companies, they're they're horrible. They are toxic work environments. It might have been 
um, okay, maybe, because this is a phenomenon that's been going on for about 40 years. So in institutions that are that long or even 20 years, when you have a culture like that, it does infiltrate. Um, I, as I said, I was in a work environment for 21 years. And when I left, um, there were other things you know, going on, but I, there was another 25 year employee and she was retiring. And she said to me, I've never seen it like this. And, you know, and so it does, it does um, implode and they are shooting themselves in the foot, but you got to remember all they care about is their six figure paycheck. They don't understand what's happening in the middle of their company. They have no idea. So go yeah, ahead. Deb. They don't care. Yeah. I was just going to say, and they don't care. They, they just, yeah, they're like, you know, they're living in that bubble. They, they just want to do what they can to maintain their power. And that's why a lot of them are so out of touch with what's going on because it's just, you know, not on their radar. It's not in their self-interest to, to monitor their, their culture or to, you know, know about these types of things. So from your guys' experience and, you know, the, all the work that you've been doing with this, can you kind of, go over maybe just a few things that maybe a lot of people in the workforce or have dealt with that they think are day-to-day -day things that are just things that should not happen that may indicate that they're being targeted. Yeah, I can, I can go through some things. I mean, the, um, you know, one, one of the more obvious things is, is verbal abuse. So, you know, this could be like name calling, harsh criticism, um, rumors, gossip, backstabbing, threats, that sort of thing. Um, and, and the, the list goes on and on about, you know, the types, the, the actual tactics people use. Um, but then there's, there's sort of like more um, undermining the sabotage approach. Um, this could be like excluding people from meetings, um, not giving them the resources that they need. Um, it could also be um, treating them unfairly, uh, doing what's called gaslighting. So, you know, um, convincing somebody that, or uh, convincing some somebody that their reality is not their reality, um, whether that's like omitting information or uh, making them believe something else is the truth. Um, but that sort of unfairness can take the form of things like. Um, demoting somebody without cause, micromanaging them, um, having inconsistencies when it comes to uh, rule, you know, rules across the board, um, discounting their accomplishments, blocking their requests for leave or training, removing responsibilities with no explanation, which is something that happened with me, um, unreasonably heavy workloads, uh, have, like um, put, putting someone in a position to underwork, um, it can be unrealistic deadlines, um, and then like pestering or tampering with people's personal belongings, just sort of messing with them. Um, and then just being vague or, um, having like vague deadlines and then reprimanding somebody for those, for missing a deadline, um, having really vague work expectations. And then again, reprimanding them for not, um, adhering to those expectations. Um, and then like we've, we've talked about the, the mobbing piece of it where, um, where it escalates to, you know, essentially like the group bullying aspect where someone's contr controlling the narrative, um, isolating the person that they're targeting. Um, and then like 
having the the whole policy for reporting these situations really be like a smokescreen. A lot of companies will pay lip service to certain values and then not uphold them at all. Um, and so all of that, I mean, that's just sort of, uh, you know, broad strokes about like some of these tactics that get used, but it's, it's usually lumped into some sort of um, verbal abuse or sabotage. Um, and a big one um, I, that we've seen is using performance reviews to, um, to undermine people. So like Vicky mentioned, having like this great track record and all of a sudden maybe a new boss comes in and they want to hire their own people, which is a common um, sort of scenario for bullying. Um, and they will start to put together a paper trail of, you know, what they're calling bad behavior. It's usually false accusations. Um, and their, their whole um, goal is to push the person out, but to have that like documentation behind it. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times there will be a performance improvement plan or a PIP involved, um, but really just this uh, whole smear campaign that from the outside looks legitimate and like they're looking out for the best interests of the organization when really they're, they're all about power and control and maintaining that power and control. I don't know if you have anything to add. I would just like to say, um, I guess, you know, those were a lot of bullying things. And for me, in complete hindsight, is that um, mobbing, you know, you'll you'll know, and this, usually we don't know that we've been mobbed until we've left the workplace. So this is kind of a, um, if this happens to you, then you know, just get out of there. It's when you report and your supervisor tells you she's going to take care of it and never does. And then you go to HR and you they tell you there's a complaint process and you go through the complaint process and three months go by. So, you know, I mean, it's like it's that stalling when if someone isn't addressing someone else's abusive behavior in your work environment in the short term, then you are in an abusive work environment. And do you, I can just tell you, do yourself a favor and start looking for another job. Um, my husband was all over me about, you know, because he, of course, he was listening to me, but um, he was all over me about um, finding another job. He bought me a new um, iPhone. He, he was doing everything to get me out of there. And I was just so determined um, to stay because I didn't do anything wrong. And because I was a long-term employee who was... Uh oh. It seems like we lost them. There we are. Okay. I'm not sure, Vicky. That was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I hear that. What, what Vicky had said, I hear that a lot from targets about like, well, I'm the one who deserves to stay and like, I didn't do anything wrong. So I'm going to fight this. And um, while that's all true, that they are the ones who deserve to stay and they don't deserve to lose their jobs over it. Um, you know, the, it, it is a rigged system. It's, there's this huge asymmetry of power. It's built on bias um, and going up against that army is really uh, a, a, a fight that's 
almost impossible to win. I mean, you know, when, when there's collective action that, that can be more hopeful or, um, you know, the media is involved or there are just certain scenarios that might help, but, um, you know, more often, or at least in my personal experience, my approach was, I don't want to give this employer any more power than they've already tried taking from me. So I'm just going to like move on and live my best life. And of course, you know, I realized that there, there was more to that. There was more healing involved in, you know, the post-traumatic growth aspect of it. Um, but I didn't want to give more, um, I didn't want them to take more from me than they already had. I did not want them to, uh, consume years in a lawsuit, um, even though I have nothing to sue them for, because there is nothing, you know, my, my boss or she wasn't my boss, but my bully was a woman. Um, and I didn't think I could sue for discrimination, but I also didn't want to. Um, I just, I wanted to kind of walk away from the, the energy that they had taken from me, you know, moving forward in my career. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, when I talked to y'all yesterday, something that, you know, I think is really, really important and, and you don't realize it until, until you get out. Okay. You mentioned like the different tactics and the paper trails and stuff like that. How it, you mentioned a playbook. Well, as a manager, you're, you're taught the playbook. You're, you're taught to use those. And, and like I, I told y'all yesterday, there were situations where I had district managers come in and tell me they wanted me to fire the entire staff. And what did they say? Start documenting everything they do. Paper trail it. So when you look at a culture like that, you're, you're being taught from the top down. You're not looking to enhance people's performance. You're looking to eliminate problems. And that's how they really look at it. It's like, okay, here's your steps of what you're going to take. Make sure you get their signature on this piece of paper. And then when we get enough on them, we're going to send them out the door. And that's the playbook. I mean, that's, that's you know, performance evaluations, you're 100% correct. That can be a tool of pain intentionally. Because nine times out of ten, as a store manager, you're not allowed to have the final say. And if that district manager is not like a certain employee that you're praising, they'll shoot it down and make you give them a lesser score to help push them out the door. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really about the people in power control the narrative. Um, and, you know, as we've seen with discrimination law, um, employers are going to find whatever loopholes they can to like, to, to maintain their power. Um, luckily we've seen with the, the, the great resignation that people like there's just, there's uh, you know, we're still trying to, to push for a law so we can prevent this behavior from happening um, and expand rights for workers and all different ways of, you know, the workplace abuse is happening. Um, but, you know, there are, there are uh, other policies or um, just trends, I guess, that, that will also help get at this, like the great resignation being one of them, um, pulling healthcare, separating healthcare from jobs, you know, can provide more of a safety net for people. Um, just any, anything we can to get at providing more of a safety net for workers, um, and making it easier for them to leave a toxic situation rather than them feeling like, um, you know, they're, they're put in these positions to decide between their health and a paycheck and they, you know, they, 
there's a force with these really tough to face these really tough decisions because a lot of people, they might be a single parent. They might have a whole family to support. I mean, there's, there's a whole host of um, very um, stressful situations that could uh, compound after leaving a, a stressful job. So from the awareness standpoint, now Vicki, I know both of you have, have testified and whatnot. And I know we kind of touched on legislation kind of tell everybody as you guys try to propose this for what it is, which is, you know, mental health related. Okay. The pushback that you guys have gotten from advocating that. I can't say that it's pushback that we've um, gotten, but it's um, lack of awareness. Um, you know, as we said at the beginning, this phenomenon of bullying and mobbing is so covert and um, difficult to understand. People don't know that it exists. When you say um, someone's been, you know, if when I was saying to people, you know, someone's bullying me, People imagine that it's just someone, you know, yelling at you, or they might even think, well, gee, maybe, you know, Vicki is being a pain in the neck and um, she deserved it or anything, but they don't understand that there is someone who is tormenting you um, with all the tactics that we talked about day in, day out, hour on hour. Um, you know, you can't, you're interfering with your work on multiple levels. Um, it's mental torment. Um, so again, it's not just um, that, that's that's the biggest problem. So that's why, you know, um, what, for March 9th, you know, next week and everything else, um, we have been, you know, partnering with the Justice for Evan campaign because, you know, we brought our experience to their campaign. They have done such a phenomenal job. Um, Gina, Erica, Amy, um, getting the word out there to what happened to Evan. And not one of them, they haven't been bullied. They didn't even know what bullying was, but here they were like fighting our cause. And so, you know, that's what has, you know, brought me to this um, to, to stand with them as well as many others. Um, we have, I believe it's 12 or 13 states. We have a team at the White House on March 9th. Um, and most of these outside of Jana, Erica and Amy, all of those posts are gonna be manned by um, former targets of bullying and mobbing um, because this has just been um, such a, it's a, it's a, I don't know how to say it because it's such a horrific, thing. Evan Seyfried died. He was bullied and mobbed to death at work. He did nothing. This was preventable. And um, it's just been so overwhelming for all of us to, to just stand by. We can't stand by. Um, and they have had a cry for justice for Evan from day one. And um, I think Amy had buttons made, you know, days into Evan's passing. And um, I have one on and we're, we're going to be wearing them at the March 9th event. Again, I can just add on to that, Steve. Um, I think one of the issues, yeah, to, to um, add to what Vicki said is one of the issues is definitely public awareness. 
Um, I think people who haven't experienced this um, can sometimes victim blame and they, they don't want to believe that this could also happen to them. They, they want to believe that we live in this just world where the person who's being targeted had to have played some role in, in the abuse that happened to them. So that's one piece of it. Um, the other piece is that, uh, you know, aside from this workplace abuse and mobbing needing to be household terms, um, just like we needed to make domestic abuse a household term. Um, and, and this phenomenon does, does parallel the way that domestic abuse operates. Um, a lot of businesses, though, aren't going to come out publicly and oppose this, this bill. They're going to do it quietly behind closed doors, um, just like the abuse happens in the first place. And un unfortunately, um, our state legislatures, which is where you know we've been trying to pass uh, legislation, um, also want to you know the peop the leadership also wants to maintain their own power and control. So those um, the people who are making our policy um, are are operating within some of the same structures. I mean, it's a place of employment, just like our places of employment. So um, it's really trying to navigate, um, trying to change policy through a structure that is also operating under these same um, structures that also maintain power at the top. Um, and um, unfortunately it's not run as democratically as we would hope. So, um, you know, I think a lot of the oppositions to, you know, of course there's some of the um, chambers of Commerce and some of the business associations coming out publicly against this in, in hearings, but um, a lot of this work is also being done um, just by way of like ignoring the situation. I mean, in Massachusetts, every two-year legislative session, there are about 6,000 bills being introduced and only some of those, you know, I'm not sure how many actually end up being passed into law, but it's far fewer, 6,000. So it's really cutting through the noise um, making, you know, getting urgency behind this. And the whole goal is to just really create this groundswell of people um, saying that we've, we've had enough. Um, and people don't necessarily have to be so public about that. There are things that they can do privately. There are, um, there are just ways to support this um, without necessarily, uh, you know, jeopardizing future job prospects. But um, of course, the more people who do publicly tell their stories, the more it it, it gives permission for other people to share their stories. So um, in the 10 years or so or more that I've been working on this, this has definitely been um, something that I wouldn't say it's completely mainstream by any means, but it's in the news more and more um, people recognize the term more of workplace abuse or workplace bullying. Um, and there, there have been definitely strides made in terms of public awareness on it. I so. mean, what do you think it's what's it going to take to get it to be looked at as, you know, like an occupational hazard? Is it just going to be the awareness or is it going to be able to find somebody that's in, in a, a place of high esteem that actually starts, you know, championing the cause? Um, it's really hard to say. I mean, if we look at some of the, the movements, uh, throughout history, I mean, it, it just, unfortunately is going to take 
a lot of people speaking up um, and uh, just being really publicly vocal about this issue, um, whether that is somebody championing this, um, whether that's, you know, a politician or a celebrity using their megaphone on it. Um, I'm not really exactly sure what this will take. I know it's, it's a marathon. I mean, I'm in Massachusetts. I'm, I know paid FMLA just recently passed and it took uh, about 20 years for that to happen. So, um, you know, it's a long haul. I'm not sure exactly what it will take, but I do, I do know that like things that have moved the needle um, have required a, a movement behind them. And that's really what we're, our goal is. I, I think that's so. the, the huge thing, you know, about the whole justice for Evan movement is, you know, as we've discussed and it's, it's been talked about, you know, big news won't cover it. And the only way you're going to get people to know is you're going to have to grassroot it. And that's a shame. It should, it shouldn't be that way, but you know, there's such a stigma on mental health, you know, within several industries, because there again, there's that whole term liability, you know, I think from a business standpoint, I can see them coming from the angle. Well, who's going to classify it as a mental illness? Who, you know, how, what boxes do you have to check? You know, those kind of things. And they're still looking at it from a financial standpoint. They're not looking at it, you know, as, you know, the health of their workforce. And it still to me is, is just completely appalling that, you know, you've got little podcasts out here, you know, talking about this stuff, you know, ad nauseum, but you can't get a major news carrier to cover it. And it's a story that should be told. It's a story that everyone should hear, you know, and it's something that could have been prevented. And, you know, people need to be educated that this isn't a joke. I mean, this people aren't just making up weird stuff. I mean, you know, we lost a living, breathing human being due to other people's behaviors. Yeah, the fact that, the, you know, these big companies control our media, I mean, that's definitely a challenge in this. I mean, media in, in a lot of cases has become our, our justice system, and that would definitely go a long way if we could get some major media outlets to, to cover this issue. I mean, I think there's been some progress in it when you see some of these um, high-profile people being taken down um, around sexual harassment. I think there's you know, some level of the, the needle moving forward um, when it comes to human rights and um, discrimination in general and um, just mental health. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's a big obstacle in this because, you know, there's not this, uh, they're not ready and willing to, to take on this issue because of their own self-interest. It always kind of goes back to, you know, what's in it for them to, to make, a certain decision and, and kind of predicting, you know, what's gonna, uh, what's gonna make them take an issue on. I mean, luckily we have social media and, um, and blogging and different ways for people to, to, uh, share their stories. But yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a huge challenge without some of the major news outlets taking. Yeah. And, and they've got to be scared because when I first started talking to Jana, you know, I've, there were journalists that I, I, I had contact with that, you know, worked for some rather large publications. And I sent the story to them. I'm like, you might want to cover this. Crickets, not a word, not a word. Uh -huh. And, you know, I'm thinking, 
this is the kind of story that if you cover it properly, you know, if you're a journalist, can really help your career, you know. And, you know, if you do an expose on this kind of thing. Nope, not a word. Which is, yeah, it's just frightening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess luckily we're seeing some, some major outlets pick, pick this up, but not nearly enough. I mean, there was a Washington post um, article about Evan's story last July, I believe. And then, um, you know, the Boston globe in our area has has picked this up a couple of times. Um, There was the whole Scott Rudin case where he, um, well, story, I should say, where he, the, the film and Broadway producer, who um, he was sort of like the, I'd say like the Harvey Weinstein of just general workplace abuse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the Hollywood reporter broke that story and then the New York times picked it up. So um, I think it's just, you know, it's, it's happening. It's just very slow and unfortunately not enough, um, which is disappointing. Well, so. I do appreciate what you guys are doing. And, you know, like I told you guys yesterday, you know, going on my own little journey, you know, with what I do, you you learn a lot. And, you know, when you take the blinders off, you know, from carrying that set of keys, you start to realize, you know, yeah, I thought it was messed up to begin with. But then you realize how really messed up it is. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Evan's situation could have been prevented. And there's millions of people out there right now that are going through similar things that he did. And we, you know, no one knows about it. And it's a dirty business, uh, you know, especially from the retail side. It's it's a dirty business. And mental health is the, the last of those companies' concerns. All they're worried about is money going in the till. That's it. So, you know, what you and Vicky have been doing has been great. You know, um, you know I've been extremely honored you know, being part of it, you know, having the conversations with Jana and Jerry and Erica. Um, speaking of which, next Wednesday, um, I've been in contact with Erica. Uh, I know she's going to be joining me. We're going to try to do some sort of like wrap up of the events of that day. So if anybody's involved or whatnot, please send me pictures, videos or whatnot. It's going to be it's going to be a recap of all the different things that happened that day, you know, with all the information that we can get, because I I think it's appropriate to see, you know, it's real great. You know, you can see on social media, these different things, but if we can encapsulate it and have it in one location where you can see all the different things that went on that day to see how important this really is, I think it's needed. And I think the family deserves it. So, but having said that, uh, we're sitting at a little bit over an hour. Uh, obviously, um, there may have been some transmission issues with Vicky. Uh, Deb, is there anything you want to close out with real quick? Um, I just want to thank you for, for bringing light to this, this situation and, you know, your, your covering of, of this whole issue around Evan and workplace abuse and mobbing in general. I mean, um, it is such a game of, of obedience and power and control. And like you said, once you kind of like pull the curtain back on it, I mean, you can really, it's a scary, uh, scary culture uh, that some of these, a lot of employers are are, um, perpetuating, but um, you know, I think, I think tools like this and educating people on it is so valuable to helping them 
name what they're going through, first of all, and be able to detach and then, you know, get out of their toxic situations and then start to heal. Um, it's just such a powerful, uh, it's just so powerful that you're, that you're, um, helping people understand how this works. To that point, do you not have a podcast as well? I do. Yeah. Tell us about that real quick. Yeah. Um, it's called screw the hierarchy. It's about, um, these, that sort of this overlap of the, of workplace abuse and these, uh, social hierarchies that get reinforced, like I mentioned earlier. So, um, it kind of started out as, um, talking a lot about that and and I still do, but it also, um, we also talk about a lot of like the healing side of things. Um, any, anything from like how to deal with anxiety to, um, limiting beliefs, um, all sorts of sort of tackling this, this issue from all sorts of different angles to help people understand what they're going through and, and how to, how to move past it or how to, how to cope with it and and heal from it. Yeah, folks. So go check that out. Yeah. Every voice is important. Every single voice. So, um, it's like we had somebody on Twitter looking for somebody for a uh, documentary about pharmacists and, you know, looking for us to help them out to get some people. And I'm like, Every voice matters. Here's you another place to go. Go. So having said that, Deb, thank you so much for being here. I do appreciate it. Thank um, you. I will email Vicki and tell her thank you as well, seeing how there were some technical difficulties there. But um, as always, this has been great. Uh, you know, anything you guys are involved with, you know, on Wednesday next week, let me know. Or you can shoot it to Erica or Jana. Like I said, we're... Uh, I've, I've still got some conversations to have with Erica. I just know that she's going to be on. I don't know if Jan is going to want it being on or not, but like I said, I want it to be kind of a celebration of, you know, people's voices being heard for this cause. So anything you have that you can add to that, just let me know. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be great. And I was going to say, if people aren't near a location where there is a protest, we're encouraging people to like hold up a sign that says justice for Evan and take a picture of it and, posted on social media with the hashtag justice for Evan, just to like, keep up the, you know, keep the conversation going, keep this, keep it alive in well, you know, on, on March 9th. And Absolutely. That, create a that's blind. a good idea. Need to get with Jana on that. Tell her to, I'll start helping her spread that too. So, but anyway, you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you so much. Is it, is it still cold up there? It is. Yeah. Well, you'll be mad. It's going to be yeah. 80 degrees here tomorrow. So, Enjoy yeah, it. we'll try to. But anyway, you have a wonderful night, and um, we'll be speaking to you soon. Everybody, Wednesday, March 9th, it's important. We need a good showing for this one. Um, see everything that happened that day. So, everybody have a great night, and we will see you next time.